You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And with me this week is a special guest. I'm glad to have him. Uh, my co-host on Snyder Cuts, as well as Aggressive Negotiations, the one, the only, John Mills. Yeah, only one of me, and we'll see exactly how glad everybody is that I'm here uh, after the discussion's over today. So thank you for having me back on. <laughs> well, man, I guess as the kids would say, yeet! Yeah. Oh, man, it's going to be fun. No, the kids, the kids need to stop <laughs> saying that, okay? I'm just going to go out there and just go ahead and say it. <laughs> Well, it is going to be fun. I, we're here to talk about uh, the third High Republic book that's come out from Claudia Gray, Into the Dark. But before we do that, of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at The 602 Club. We can also be found on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. You can, of course, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash track.fm. We've got the listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference, you can find there as well. Track.fm is also a great place to go to see all the podcasts we're doing. And, of course, the contact section over there, you can send an email to me and Christy and John uh, if you'd like. We'd love to, to hear from you about to what you've got going on with the show. And, of course, a huge thank you to our social producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. We really appreciate them supporting the show for so many years and the network honestly you know this is you know we say it every week but it really is people it's um it's an expensive thing to do uh and we truly need your help to to continue to do it um and so uh please do go over to patreon.com slash track fm see how you can become part of our team every little bit helps we've got some great contribution levels and we're working on continuing to refine the network and we've got some great things coming up for you this year too in the works so uh please stay with us and support us over at patreon.com slash trek fm so john i have obviously talked about the last two of these books that have come out and i was just interested before we even started just kind of where you were coming into this series um, obviously, you know, it was a big announcement that they were going to have this, you know, new thing coming out. I mean, it had been uh, on social media, you know, for years now. They've been, you know, talking about this idea for a while. It was called Project Luminous, uh, Luminous, excuse me. And, uh, you know, they finally announced what that was, which is this idea of the High Republic being 200 years before the Phantom Menace. And so I'm just kind of wondering where you were coming into this. Uh, this is the first book of the series that I've read. Uh, I was aware of it. Um, I was, frankly, waiting to hear from others about stepping into it. Um, I'm not one of those people, as you well know, as anybody should well know. Uh, I, I'm not one of those people that has any sort of grudge about you know the old EU or anything. I was actually very much in favor of moving past it as best we could. Um. But yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where I'm not naturally inclined to 
be a completionist anymore, and I'm not naturally inclined to read every last word unless I get strong recommendations from people. Yeah, you should jump into this series. No, I think that makes sense. You know, I and especially uh, you know, I think for us, you know, as as you get older, you've got so much going on in life, and you know, there's only so much time for you know bad movies or, or books that you're not really gonna enjoy. You know, mm-hmm. and I think. You know, you, you got to use your time wisely. Uh, and so I definitely understand that for sure. And so one of the things, you know, um, overarchingly, this whole series is been said to be kind of about the Jedi and really exploring them in that time period, which, you know, Obi-Wan talks about, you know, for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were guardian is a peace and justice in the old Republic. And so... Getting to that, you know, uh, this hopefully will then give them opportunities to explore some interesting areas. And so one area that I thought was interesting uh, for them to go was this idea of a way seeker, which is a Jedi who can operate independently of the dictates of the Jedi Council. Uh, and we have one of our characters that we meet here in the book, Orla, who is specifically on this path because her and the Jedi are kind of not seeing eye to eye and the storyline kind of opens up as to why she's kind of there. It's been something that's been building for over, you know, um, 25 years for her to make this decision. Um, And I thought that this was really interesting because in many ways it made me kind of wonder um, if there was a point that maybe Qui-Gon Jinn was a way seeker because you know of of his studies mm-hmm. that he had done um and so i just thought this was a really fascinating idea that a jedi might kind of step away from the dictates of the council uh to kind of explore the force in a in a variety of different ways um to kind of find their way you know and so uh, to me that was really something that in this book if you're going to be exploring jedi this was an interesting way to kind of uh, start with a character doing this yeah i um I think it's an interesting enough concept. I It didn't really strike my fancy because I think it's the nature of the Jedi. And you, you mentioned Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon obviously went out and he discovered things that weren't, you know, privy to the people on Coruscant, the people who stayed back with the Order. Qui-Gon went out and he embraced life and he engaged with the living force and those sorts of things. The idea that it would have been an institutionalized thing is fine because it gives a very definite shape to the character. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe it pays off in that they say, oh, we need to let more Jedi go out and just do this and not give it a name or something. But just the, the idea of giving it a, a role like I'm going to go out and I'm going to like, it just seems like it would be within the Jedi mandate to have just been that way to begin with. Uh, I, maybe that's just a presumption on my part, but I always took it as the Jedi would go out and they'd be out and then they would come back to the council and report back. Hey, this is a thing that I found out about. And these are some interesting things. But then as the council became more bureaucratic, they listened less, if you will. And so that's why Qui-Gon is more of an anomaly. It's not because he signed up and said, I'm going to be a wayseeker now. It's because he was just doing what Jedi are supposed to do. And the council had just ossified 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, that it's really interesting because I, I kind of had some of the, the same thoughts in the sense that, you know, obviously this is 200 years before The Phantom Menace. And, and, you know, even if we, and I've said this before in the other episodes, you know, if we take into account the 200 years of our own existence as a country, lots of things have changed, right? You know, mm-hmm. and so, uh, but here it it did almost seem like to me that by having this as kind of like already something a part of the process instead of this almost just being like i don't know the, the jedi in the, in the books have felt less free than i thought that they would be you know um mm-hmm. in this era where you know i kind of felt like that the jedi um i don't know it felt more organized still like it still felt very uh in some ways bureaucratic and organized more to uh, in a way that I, I didn't necessarily expect coming in. Maybe I'm just, you know, I, again, it could be just be my own expectations as well, but I do see that uh, what you're saying uh, that, you know, them kind of having almost like this specific label for this type of person, instead of it, like you said, just being about like you're, you, you're already, kind of having it be about the dogmatic views of the Jedi instead of it being, again, I would just say, you know, where's the freedom, you know, like that you would have expected if you're, if you're kind of, kind of like do this series, shouldn't you really be trying to, to make it even more of a juxtaposition than what came before? I, I think that's entirely valid. I think also it would have been interesting to have it be, you start like flip it on its head and have the Jedi being this way. And then a couple of them are saying, have you noticed that things are getting a little tighter around here? Like they didn't give me an okay to go out on my, you know, I wanted to go out and explore the, the moons of Bogdan or whatever. And the council said not to go. And I'm like, that that's weird. That, you know, like that's, I think there would have been a really great, maybe, maybe further books will have that sort of thing to it. I'm not trying to write for anybody. I'm just saying, you know, this is my first time jumping in, and I would have re- probably responded better to flipping that on its head. But something you bring up um, b- about the 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 we're talking about the bureaucratic nature of it is something I didn't like. In specific, was that there was a limited number of Jedi masters available um, when. Um, that there were there were like only three available to have uh, a discussion at one point in the book, and the thing mm-hmm. that bothers me about that is that it's specifically called out in the prequels when the war comes. Few like there there's tumult, and so like when you get to episode three, fewer and fewer Jedi are available. Like they're doing more hollow calls and. You know, from right there, you know, they're all spread out throughout the galaxy and everything. And it, it seems like in a time of peace, there would have been more at hand. Now, I will I will say that, you know, I since you haven't got a chance to read the other books, I do think part of the answer in that is the fact that, you know, they're in the midst of a hyperspace uh, crisis oh, uh, because yeah. of what had happened in light of the Jedi and so that was making it more difficult for space travel to happen, communications to happen, all of those kind of things. So, but I mean, I, it, it's an interesting point because I think, you know, 
you you would expect even there just to be more Jedi Masters at the temple on Coruscant in the first place, you know, right. um, than seem to be available at that point. So, uh, and again, it could be that they're all just busy working on the problem at hand, which was a very big deal. Uh, I mean, it closed the outer rim basically, uh, because of the the disaster that happened. But still, it seems like the discussion that they have especially bringing back those idols and everything, you would want some more masters in on that than just like three guys, you know? Uh, so Yeah. Uh, okay. So the, the hyperspace thing happens in this book, but you're telling me that this is book two or book three in the series. Right. And so each book in the series has a reaction takes to place that. in the same time period. Gotcha. Um, and so every book is playing at a different angle than that. Okay. And so this this one just happens to be playing with, I would say, a, a test of courage plays with a smaller crew, and this one plays with a much smaller crew. Uh, I'll just say right up front, this one is the most successful of all three of the books, mainly because Gray is so good with characterization. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you felt, and I want to ask you this, reading this book, did you feel like this book was was character and then plot, or was it plot then character? Oh, I definitely felt it was ca- appropriately character focused. I okay, gr- I, okay. I, I, you're absolutely right. Gray has a gift for drawing distinct characters that I never lose who they are. There's never a mix up. Mm-hmm. I know who's speaking, right. and she actually has quite a gift. I'd say for giving people specific cadence. And, mm-hmm. and and vocabulary sure. so that you can always tell like if you took off that it was Lux speaking, you would still know it was him. Right, right. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I and I think that's the thing that to me and I just kind of give that away has made this the most successful so far of of all of the series. You know that that uh, of the series that has been done. So, um. So something else that I, I I just kind of liked a little bit, and and again, this is one of those things that I was I, I did think worked well in the fact that when you're doing a series where you're really going to explore, you know, the Jedi in this time period, exploring Jedi of all types was fun. So I love that Cormac and and Wreath uh, are much more cerebral Jedi. You know, they're Jedi who enjoy the study. They, they, you know, they're they're the nerds, you know, mm-hmm. um, but they're they're the ones who are, you know, they love, especially Cormac. He loves getting into studying tales and myths and art and cultures of 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 different peoples. You know, in some ways, he kind of reminded me of of the same thing that Thrawn likes to do, where he really loves getting into understanding a people from their art and their culture and their music and all that kind of stuff. And you know, Reith is somebody who really likes to be prepared through study before he goes on a mission, if he goes on any mission at all, uh, because he doesn't really like being away from the archives. Um, But I just thought that that was really interesting because it gave you that opportunity to see that there are different Jedi with different gifts and different desires other than just swinging a lightsaber. And it was, it was neat because, you know, um, you know, one of the other characters even tells Wreath, you know, look, the, the force is about balance. So, you know, we need Jedi who seek adventure just as much as we need Jedi who seek knowledge, right? You need the balance in the order itself. And I thought that was kind of a fun thing to be able to explore a little bit more of that than, you know, just our kind of, I think, 
prototypical Jedi is the one who is, you know, always on a mission somewhere, um, wouldn't have put a, uh, any thought into study whatsoever, you know? Yeah, I, you know, the phrase crave adventure sort of has a potential to be a problem for me just because I, I, sub, I subscribe, I guess it's just burned into me, you know, adventure, excitement, a Jedi craves, not these things. Right. And I think that the truth is that the balance is the Jedi knows the correct action to take in the moment because they're open to the will of the force. So right. craving adventure leads to adventurism and I would say that strays farther from the path than the Jedi who seeks the force only for knowledge and defense. Now you can make the argument, right? well, that's Obi-Wan and Yoda's point of view. Well, mm-hmm. call me old fashioned, but I think they were right about that one. Right. Well, and I, and I absolutely agree with you because isn't that something that we also see, right? You know, the, the Jedi who says that to Wreath is Dez and what happens to him at the end. Mm-hmm. He see, he actually almost pays for that that thought process which is that he craves adventure so much and it's led him down this path to which by the end of the book because of his experience he finds himself needing to basically go off and you know sit on a mountaintop and commune with the force to be able to kind of heal himself from Mm -hmm. the adventure he's had because it's left him fractured basically um you know fractured in in the force and fractured in himself. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, you're, you know, you saying that is absolutely what we kind of get to see is that even in this time period, one of the things I'm, I noticed as well, you know, not only Jedi of all types, but we get this kind of arrogance almost in the Jedi already. Mm-hmm. Like Reith doesn't think he can learn anything from anybody who's not a Jedi and he, he's proven wrong, you know, but we also kind of see, I think an arrogance in all of these Jedi and, not necessarily really thinking through, I think, any of the consequences of their actions, especially on the station that they go to. Because, I mean, they, they the council absolves them of what they did, but they didn't really study the situation very well before they decide to make massive action to which right. is going to have dire consequences for the galaxy, you know? Yes, and I think it's... You know, you, you can draw the connection if you want that the, the Jedi looking the other way. Well, everything worked out okay, so we're not going to be too tough on you. You could make the argument that that is telegraphing the way they will approach Anakin mm-hmm. later. Because they're, they're, you know, especially after watching Clone Wars and everything, you could make the argument of why was he should have been kicked out of the Jedi Order a hundred times over. Forget about just the right. Padme thing. He does a whole ton of things. Why do they keep looking the other way? And, you you know, well, of course, mm-hmm. Anakin is the chosen one, blah, 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 all that stuff. But this, I guess you could say, sort of telegraphs that tendency on the part of the yeah. council, even this early on. And maybe that, I guess you can make the argument that that leads to trouble for them later down the road that they don't see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find it interesting that... Um, in in terms of that arrogance thing, I get yeah, it, it would make sense that it would be creeping in, but I, I 
I guess it's one of those things where it is so close, relatively speaking, to the Phantom Menace that having these characters have these sorts of existential crises now, number one, feels like territory we're going to tread again in the prequels, very, you know, relatively short order galactic history wise. Right. But also it makes it less novel for Anakin and company and Obi-Wan and everybody else and Mace Windu to go through it. And I know we have the whole thing that everybody loves to make fun of Lucas for when he said it's like a poem. It rhymes. It's a tone poem. But it is. But at the same time, it feels like with uh, this arrogance thing and, and the adventurism, it feels like there should be a little bit more distance between the events, especially with the fact that Yoda's involved to or I know he's going to be. He's alive. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I, I think that these things are territory that we've sort of been down. And with it being so close, it becomes less, I, I don't want to say forgivable, but I'm, I'm struggling for another word. It's, it's something it's harder for me to look past in terms of the idea that the Jedi wouldn't have been more aware of these problems when the prequels roll around. Right. Right. Um, I I really I'm I'm appreciative that you're going there because it is something you know having read the first 3 now um I'm finding myself of the opinion that I really think that this series should have been more removed from the prequel era yeah in the sense that that it completely be you know because you know this book even mentions too you know that um, you know, we learn about the the, the Jedi Temple, uh, and it's you know on a virgence in the Force. You know that the Sith had controlled eons ago, and now the Jedi control. And you know, we we get the the whole thought process that you know it's been more than a thousand years since the Jedi have had this spot, right? So, you know, I really would have been much more interested in in exploring a time period that it was. You know, in all honesty, like a Knights of the Old Republic, where it's a few thousand years beforehand, so we can really do something just completely different um, than anything that has any semblance of remembrance of or our connection to what we know. And part of that is what you're exactly talking about is because it it doesn't feel different enough to many of the experiences I've already seen, especially through something like the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. which does such a great job of exploring all the issues of the Jedi Order and, and you know, the, the struggles that they have. Uh, and yes, there is a difference between these Jedi and that, but there's some of the, there's some of the same issues I feel like already creeping in that are are making it less interesting than it could have been, I think, if it had been in a time period that was far enough removed from this that you're really, truly exploring, I mean, I don't know, like the beginning of the Jedi Order or something like that, just so that, you know, we're really playing with something completely different, as, as <laughs> Monty Python would right. say. And now for something completely different. Yes, and I, I do think that it's... It's difficult when you're coming up with a big tie-in series to say, okay, what can we do that's different, that's new, that's fresh, 
and weighing all of those factors in and making those sorts of decisions. And I think that it, it definitely hampers them being this close to time periods we already know. And additionally with the fact that it's just, there's so much room to move in either direction and explore things that have never been touched on before ever. I know that the dark horse comics were there, but they're a fading memory for everybody. Um, we know that XR Kun, you know, was brought back into Canon with the desk that was, you know, in, in, in solo in, um, Dryden Voss's office, but there are still plenty, like, I, I hate to lean on it as a crutch, but the Mandalorian proves that there is room for you to maneuver. And so I'd, I'd offer that if you're going to have this sort of galaxy building event, this giant crossover event, I would offer that focusing on the Jedi Order is sort of the key decision that probably is going to wind up getting them into trouble. Because I think it would have been more interesting to see the Jedi as they were viewed by people outside of the Order and have the main characters be the non-Jedi who might run right. across them from time to time. And so we can have our world building without remining the Jedi Order mm -hmm. for all of its right. problems that we've looked at. Yeah, I, I think it, and part of the reason is, is that it just doesn't feel different enough. Like, and, and look, I know, you know, the whole thing about making a sequel, you do the same thing, but different. But, you know, I, I think it would have been really interesting to truly have something different in the Jedi and have them not feel so familiar. And And part of that had to do with this Jedi and the dark side question, mm -hmm. you know, um, we we have Cormac asking the question, you know, should the, the the Jedi be, you know, studying the dark side as well as the light side so that they know both? And, of course, you know, this is actually something that the new uh, Jedi Order did with the unifying force and bringing both sides together and it kind of being this idea that it's not about um, there being a dark side or a light side, but it's basically how you use it. It's a tool. So mm -hmm. if you use it for evil, it's evil. If you use it for good, it's good. Um and, and yet, I think the problem with the question that it, the way it was framed by the character for me really became the problem because the question was, you know, how can we split the force in two? How can we justify such an act of violence? And it is violent, such as dividing even the darkness divided from the light. It really feels like they did that. To, uh, that 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 the question is like, I don't need to know the darkness to know that something's dark, right? You right. know, like I don't need it, it again, and, it, and it's like that thing. Like I don't need to do something evil to know it's evil, right? And 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 this, you know, the the question he's asking just seems to be so. Um, off base. So I don't know if it was just me or if you felt that way as well. No, it's not just you. I 
I got shades of the old gray Jedi argument, to which I always reply, would you say that there's a gray Sith? But I think that there is... Uh, it's it's one of those things where I get it and the character going on that journey, any character going on that journey, everybody hits a point where they say, well, is this really evil? Is this really good? And But at the same time, you know, let, let's just let's let's be, you know, super pedantic about it. Right. Like force lightning. We see Palpatine use it all the time. We see Dooku use it. And we always see dark side users use it. Why? Well, I can't really see a positive use for force lightning unless you're talking about like jump starting a speeder bike, right? So like it's just there there are things that are just intrinsically bad. There are bad things that exist and it it could potentially take the character on a really interesting journey where he realizes there is a dark and a light because there is a dark and a light side of the force. They exist. We know that they are true. We know that they exist. We know that there is a a giant chess battle going on in this plane of existence that is above and beyond, you know, where where Ahsoka right. has been, where the the you know, the altar of Mortis is and all in the world between worlds. There is a whole plane of existence above and beyond that is operating like a chess match. And these characters are the pieces. So if this is being used as a character who is discovering that, that could be a very interesting journey. But I I hope, all I can do is hope that that winds up being the path that right. they're on. But, but again, yeah. that gets back to the whole thing we were talking about, about how far out you're going to put it. I would really love something that explores the, the, the father, the daughter, and the son. The, the, you know, the building, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the doorways to Mortis, who were these people? Were they once Jedi who crossed over and, and became, or were they always these beings the, those are sort of the territories that I want to go into mm-hmm. and start poking around at. Um, yeah. Especially if you're going to bring up this no, sort I of mean, question. I, I agree with you, you know, I mean, cause you know, you know, we also, Got to explore the idea of like uh, force artifacts here and and those kind of things, which was cool. Can, and, can, and, look, I'm sorry to cut you off, but can I just say that that is a thing that just is driving me crazy? That that reminds me time and again how frustrated I am with the sequel trilogy because of the fact that I thought that there was a real promise with the whole artifacts thing. They built up to it leading up mm-hmm. to the sequels. They're dealing with it here. They make reference to it in other places, and it's it it's just a frustrating thing for me. Because we seem to always touch on this in the ancillary materials and we flirt with it in the sequel trilogy and then we never commit. And so at this point, having it referenced is just a point of frustration for me because it's like, I don't believe you. You've you've teased me three times by this point. I don't believe that you're mm-hmm. going to tell me what's really going on with this stuff. And that's just me yeah. being a bitter audience member uh, wishing they would have, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I can understand. I, I, I think so as well. Um, you know, I, I think we, I, I, the closest we really got to, uh, you know, things being used in in any real way was the way in which we saw um, things being used in 
rebels with the Jedi temples and those kind of mm-hmm. things. You know, we really got to see some of that stuff play out, which was great. Um, and but yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, it, the Darth Vader comic with the the helmet, you know, the, mm-hmm. the the architect puts on, and you know that kind of thing, like. I get it. Yeah, we've been using this, like you said, in ancillary materials, but it really hasn't been paying off in the sense of uh, seeing it anywhere in beyond a book or a comic. You know, it's not really playing itself into much, you know, the the shows or the movies. So, which is disappointing. Um, You know, I mean, gosh, I feel like it would have been nice to have seen I mean, and they had some stuff they had planned for um, the rise of Skywalker. They cut out with him on on Mustafar and everything. And, you know, those are all places that would be really interesting to do that kind of stuff. And they just never, like you said, they never play with it. So, um, yeah, I agree. Um, I do want to ask you too. Obviously, we have a part of the story, like many of these books, where there's a, a bit of a backstory here, and it's Cormac and and Orla as Padawans on a rescue mission and it plays into both of their discomforts of where they are, you know? Um, but it also, um, was really interesting too, because, you know, you just have these, uh, these two planets who both leaders of those planets have been kidnapped. And this whole thing has been orchestrated by the huts to basically put the, the Republic and the Jedi in a bad light, but also to get ru- rid of their competition in the area so that they're o- the only one left. And I really enjoyed this part of the story because it reminded me of some of the things that I enjoy about, you know, like the the, the Solo movie, you mm-hmm. know, and even some of the stuff we've seen in, uh, you know, the, the Rebels and, and um, of course, the the... Clone Wars and everything where you're getting to play with the underworld and all that stuff and how that works with the Jedi. You know, this this was a really fun part of the story and I kind of wish there had been more to it because thematically I thought it was good and the storyline itself was actually really good. I agree. I think it didn't mesh with the book. I I, I have no problem with the story. I liked the like you, I liked the story. I liked the reveal at the end about how it has to do with the way the galaxy forms after this. Um, you know, that, that sort of inner nuts and bolts working of the criminal underworld is always going to be fascinating. Um, but yeah, I, I just, it didn't mesh particularly well. Every time it popped up, it, it was jarring. Oh, okay. All right. We jumped back. It didn't, I think it would have been wiser to have some sort of duology with these characters instead of trying to put this together so that they could have had heavy reference to it and had them discuss it and then also had a book mm-hmm. that dealt with that. And that way we're jumping around the time period instead of crunching everything to this is X number of years beforehand. Well, we can jump back. 25 years before that. And then we can maybe move forward 15 years after and, and play with the whole timeline thing. Um, uh, maybe it's just because I liked the storyline enough. I would have liked to see it be given um, mm-hmm. 
You know, it's sort of, honestly, it, it, it reminded me of, and you and I didn't necessarily agree about this, but when the Ahsoka book came out, I thought that those flashes mm-hmm. to the Siege of Mandalore, as we understood it at the time, I, I found them to be, you know, jarring. I, I thought they didn't mesh particularly well with what was going on in that book. And I, I think this is sort of the same effect. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll agree with you because, uh, and, and one of the things that I, I, I like you really enjoyed this part of the story and I really enjoyed, you know, kind of the thematic elements of it, you know, where you have these two planets, you know, and they've just been at each other's throats for so long. They literally have no idea what got them to that point anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're just angry at each other. They just hate each other. And their hate has just perpetuated more hate. And I thought that the way that it was written was really, um, obviously, nice thematic element for the world we live in today. Well done in that sense. And and that's where I would have loved more explanation on all of this and just exploration of it all because I thought it was really, uh, you know— really good and it and it kind of you know it went along with some of the themes of the idea of in the other books there's a theme for the republic which is we are all the republic and that we're we're in this together right uh and and these two peoples realizing that we should be in this together uh we shouldn't be fighting we should be communicating and we we should be getting past this grievance that we don't even remember why we have this grievance mm-hmm. and at the same time too we should we should even be willing to partner with and or look to the republic for help as well like that you can be uh, greater together than you can separately all of those are great themes and i just i'm like you i'm like i would have l- actually almost enjoyed the whole book just to have been that storyline yeah maybe um, and I think that would have been really fascinating uh, because um, it it was good enough to have its own storyline. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Uh, what did you think? Uh, you know, we kind of meet uh, a new crew, mm-hmm. uh, Vessel. Yes. <laughs> and her crew. Uh, and you have Leo and Affy and you got Geode. Um, some very interesting characters here. And... Um, you know, we have a really interesting storyline, especially for Affy, who uh, has to make a very difficult decision about someone who raised her. And, and the things that she finds out about this person are, you know, pretty terrible. So what did, what did you think about this part of the story? Uh, I like them. I, Leox, I, I saw Matthew McConaughey in the role. And and she said that, yeah. yeah. She's like, I was like, what if, I can't make a Han Solo character, so what if he's basically Matthew McConaughey in space? Well, she, I, I can say that, again, and this speaks to Grey's talents, she absolutely nailed it. Like, it, I, I saw him in my head. Mm-hmm. The way she yeah. described him and everything, that's a gifted writer that can make me cast the role for her. Absolutely Knocked it out of the park with that. I found Affy to be interesting. Um, I This lends a lot, I think, to my impression after the book of I would have rather had all of this stuff instead of being Jedi-focused, focus on the people and then have them run across the Jedi or something like that. And we can understand the Jedi through people outside the Order 
because what's going on with Affy is incredibly interesting. And you could even argue has a lot to do with what happened the 25 years prior. And you could find a way to tie those things together. And I think it makes for uh, a more engaging book for me. And Geode was a funny gimmick. Gimmick belittles it. Geode was a funny approach to a character. But the the joke wore on me after a little bit. It it was a little bit too much after a time, I guess. No, I, I agree with all of that. And I, like you said, you know, with Afia, I thought it was a really interesting storyline because, you know, her stepmother is the owner of this shipping company, you know, this, mm-hmm. this intergalactic shipping company. And she comes to find out that they've been using indentured servants unlawfully basically mm-hmm. uh and and in terrible ways which her parents turned out to be those indentured servants who went on a really dangerous mission because they were promised oh you'll get so many years off your indentured servitude and i really like this because you know obviously it it did a great job of thought of okay if we're going to be this close quote unquote to the prequels and close you know um the, the idea that you know, slavery's been outlawed, but the idea that you could sell yourself into indentured servitude, it would not be, but that there should be some rules and are some rules as to how that works. And, you know, her finding out that, that her stepmother has been doing these things uh, has no problem with it and her making the moral decision of of turning, uh, you know, her in at the cost to herself and mm-hmm. everybody else knowing that this is the right thing to do. I was like, man, this is good stuff. And I, like you, I feel like it, it could have been an even bigger part of the book. Um, because this, again, it gets this opportunity to be exploring something which, you know, in star Wars, we don't explore a ton of mm-hmm. the, uh, her stepmother though, reminds me that because a lot of times when the aliens are being, referred to and of course alien is a relative term non-humans i guess is a more accurate term in the in this context because there's so many humanoid species in star wars and everything but um there's a little too much reliance on me as an audience member to have the encyclopedia o star wars in my brain right and i think there are some unfortunate shortcuts taken with the description of aliens non-humans that are i i don't have that mental rolodex anymore you know i i had to carve out that space for other things and so i i i do want to ping the book here as long as we're talking about that character of a little bit more description of everybody whether they were trandoshan or rhodian or whatever a little more description instead of reliance on me to know, just know, you know, Oh, Hey, a Rodian walked by. Well, maybe I don't remember a Rodian. Now I, you and I, sure. you and yeah. I, we know yeah. I remember I Rodians, but like a little bit of a little bit more for the audience would have been nice. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Absolutely. No, I, I feel that way with every star Wars book because there are so many aliens and it is, Difficult for me to remember, you know, unless it's one that's just 
it's been there forever, you know, whether it's a Twi'lek or a Rodian or, right. you know, that kind of thing. It's like the rest of them, we've introduced so many, especially now throughout the sequel trilogy, that it's like I, I cannot keep track of what they're all called, honestly. It just, you know, yeah. so... Uh, there are plenty of times when, especially when I'm reading a digital book, where I'll highlight the word, look up, and go to the web and just pull up real quick. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, that's okay, that one, yeah. yeah but but, the, but um, the thing is, the thing that makes that so frustrating is to call back to something I I'm, I gave Gray a lot of credit for, was she can give me Leox so, so clearly that I can say that's Matthew mm-hmm. McConaughey, but then I can't get a picture really of the stepmother in my brain at, adequately. Uh, so we end up at a station, and then we have the Nile, and then the Drangir, I think you has how you'd say it. Um, sure. And uh, a Maxine station that is an ancient race who's been in a who had been in a battle against the Drangir for a very long time. Um, and you know, again, to me. As outrageously crazy as this uh, as an idea, this was really an interesting part of the book to me. The whole idea of a, like a, a a species who had been in the galaxy over a thousand years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and has it n- does not exist anymore. Um, and this stuff that was really interesting to me, and been in this battle with these strange, very strange dark side fueled plants which sounds like the most ridiculous thing on the planet but Greg kind of made it work in the way that she constructed this for me and again I, w- I would have loved to have had and I'm, I know they're coming back for the rest of the series but it's like there's all of these things that I find interesting in the book and it, it almost felt as though we needed some more focus to tell one story instead of trying to introduce so many things at one time. And if there's any knock I have about this whole series so far is that they have tried to introduce too much to us too fast. That is, uh, you, you put your finger right on it there, is that what was frustrating about this entire experience for me is that the structure of the book came across as a talented writer being given a task akin to you're writing episode three of a TV series. Well, what if they haven't watched episodes one or two? Like it basically sets itself up as an okay earlier episode of the type of show where at some point somebody's going to say, no, 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 you got to get, you just got to make it through the first six shows. And then it really starts picking, picking up. Well, I, I'm not wired like that. I don't. Mm-hmm. You you got to get me, regardless of where I jump in, sort of thing. Even if I'm confused, make it so compelling that I want to go back and read everything that came beforehand, or I can't wait to get to the next one. But yes, there's so much introduced, and the Drenger Drengear come across. Now you mentioned you know that they're going to come back later. Yeah, they are going to be more a part of the story going forward. I did not have that knowledge, and so they just came across to me as a plot contrivance that was too neatly wrapped up. That's unfortunate. And I again, I it created 
the impression for me that, again, a very talented writer given an unfortunate set of tasks, you have to hit these bullet points in your story. And that's never going to bring the best work from somebody. The, it's not going to bring the best end result. Mm-hmm. I think Gray is incapable of writing poorly. I think she is just that talented. But I think that she was given marching orders here about what needs to be introduced, and she did the best that anybody could be expected to do. But, uh, you know, it, it didn't wow me. Yeah, and I think, you know, I want to ask you then on that, you know, and this is a this is a fascinating question to be able to ask because you haven't read the other books, right? And, you know, you want to try and make all of these books something that anybody could dive into at any point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you're also cr- trying to craft this series. And so... What did you think of the book in that light? I I don't feel compelled to read another one of these books. And that it, that some people may find that to be harsh. But we established earlier I'm not the type that feels the need to read everything. So that's already, I guess you could say the series is already at a disadvantage. I need a wow factor to really pull me in. And that just, that just didn't happen here uh, for me at least. So I will, you know, this is sort of a one and done for me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think all of the things that you've, you talked about in that sense, especially with, you know, the way in which we kind of, I think both, are at a place where, and and I've read all three, um, I just feel like this series has really tried to throw so much at you. And, you know, having read all three, and also, you know, I would say, seen uh, in the last couple of years, the way The Mandalorian kind of introduced us to an entirely new section of the universe. Mm-hmm. And... Inter- introduce us into a way that I think was very slow and methodical and built. I, I think there is a way to do this, right? To really, and, and I think it the, the what we saw in The Mandalorian is, is the same template we kind of saw with Star Wars Rebels with its introduction. You know, first season, it just, it didn't, you're like, eh, it's okay. But then all of a sudden, the beginning of the second season on through the rest, it's like that first season, it gave you the foundation mm-hmm. and then it blew your socks off the rest of the time. Right. Yeah. I think, I, I think one of the things that this, this see this series here is, is doing is that it's trying to blow your socks off from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it almost feels like in doing that, it's by like just dumping, it's just info dumping, thing after thing after thing on you um i almost feel like personally it would have been much better to have started just with this book as an introduction Mm -hmm. to where you kind of have this hyperspace thing happening in the background but we're really just focused on these characters and this is your and 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 then i would have i think um reworked some things again as we talked about, 
kind of streamline the story a little bit to pull some things out so that we really just have one solid story here instead of it feeling like you can tell this is a series that's trying to plant all of the seeds for all the different things to come and it's just it's it's too much and it's not becoming the cohesive whole you need as a book whereas can i just use an example real quick of thrawn's ascendancy trilogy right we don't know crap about the chiss ascendancy right and the way in which but we know thrawn right and so uh the way in which i think zon masterfully introduced us to the ascendancy was fantastic yep and he didn't try to dump everything on us all at once you know um so it's it's just interesting you know and um i i think it's it's dis it is a little bit disappointing that i can sense there's a great book here because i did like the characters and i did like some of them thematic elements we're dealing with but it doesn't feel as cohesive as i would like um and that's an interesting thing because when i first read the book i had a little bit different experience it but rereading it again thinking about it some more the the estimation has kind of gone a little bit down so before i give that off john i'm wondering what you would rate i just into the dark i i just want to say i it hurts me to give the rating because, I, again, I want to preface it with I love Claudia Gray's other Star Wars work so very much. I still think Lost Stars is one of the best Star Wars books ever written. Um, I still think that um, you know, uh, Bloodline is just phenomenal. I wind up giving this two out of five. It's not a disaster, but... I don't really see any future wherein I would revisit it or even really remember it too much. You know, um, so when I very first read the book, and, and I think that what it came from is that the first two books were in the three, three and a half range for me. They are fine. Um and this book came along and I just really responded to the fact that I was like, it felt instead of everything being driven by plot, it was, this was driven by character. And I really responded to that. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. And I gave this, I think a four and a half out of five and reading it again, though, I became a, just a, a little bit more frustrated with sitting with a lot of these elements and, kind of overarching as a whole the high republic you know i Mm -hmm. I really hoped that by this third book things would be more solidified and some of the issues i had with those other two books kind of got fixed in this one again it's more character driven than it is plot driven because it is character driven it's it's about these characters but there's then just so many plot elements like you said gray is having to throw in that I, I'd say, you know, it's three and a half out of five. You know, um, I think this is the best of the bunch so far. Really do. Um, I, and and so if you're looking to get into this, I, I would maybe even just, I, I would start with this one because 
even though you get a lot of the background of like the hyperspace incident, this was a more interesting introduction just to this section of the universe they're playing in because I was introduced to, to characters I kind of care about more. Um, whereas I, I especially felt with Light of the Jedi, a lot of stuff happened, but there were so many characters I really didn't care necessarily about any of them because I didn't spend enough time with them to actually care. Mm-hmm. You know, this, the whole book is spent with all of the same characters, which is, you know, what you want. You know, you, you need a whole book to give you focus in that sense. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't care about characters, no matter how good the plot is, you're not really going to love whatever it is, whether it's a movie or comic book, whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's too bad um, that I, you know, that that has, has been the case. But, you know, it, it happens. Not every Star Wars book can be the best, you know, and, and not everything's going to be five stars. And, and that's OK, too. And you know what? If you loved it, I don't want to take that away from you, you know. So that's great. That That's one of the best parts about, I would say, Star Wars literature. There's so much to choose from, mm-hmm. yep. you know, new and old that. You know, I don't have to like everything. So, and, and not everything has to be for me. So, true. Uh, John, real quick though, before we get out of here, uh, of course, it's time for some recommendations. And so I've surprised you again. And so oh, I'm yeah. going to go first yeah. and I'll let you think about what your recommendation will be. Please. But um, I have recently been reading through uh, Superman, The Man of Steel, Volume One, uh, which is a new, uh, really nice collection of the. Man of Steel run from Byrne, Wolfman, Ordway. It's it's so much fun going back and, and reading these old uh, Superman comic from the late 80s. And it's just, it's been really enjoyable. The presentation is fantastic too. The printing on this looks wonderful. The binding and this nice hardcover edition is fantastic. My wife got it for me for uh, Valentine's Day, which was really fun. And so... That's what I'm going to recommend to everybody because it was, it's just again, it's fun to go back and and read these, uh, these comics. And not only that, but it's kind of fun to see how, since that point, you know, you've I've seen I can see a little bit of you know some of the things that Superman Returns did. I can see some of the things that Man of Steel and BVS have kind of used, you know, in in this already. You know, just little bits and pieces. You know, you could tell these guys creating these movies they read their comics mm-hmm. and, and so they, they pulled out these bits and pieces so that's really fun but yeah i mean you know it's also just a fun wonderful diversion to be in the world of Smo- superman for a while cool cool i will go ahead and uh over on house lights on uh on the nerd party we're getting ready to start looking at the works of uh, wes anderson so i had reason to revisit rushmore recently nice and that is uh i will always recommend that film a hundred percent of the time it's had a an incredible place in my heart since i first saw it decades ago and it still remains firmly ensconced there i think it's a delightful film and if anybody has not had the opportunity yet to um get to know max fisher and uh all, all of his crazy hijinks it's just a fantastically warm and funny and affecting film and uh strongly encourage anybody to check it out yeah that's a that is a good one man wes anderson just has some gems so he does that's exciting he does and rushmore is the first of them and still yeah, still among the best yeah it's great 
Uh, so, John, of course, you know, you just mentioned one of the places, but where can everybody find you if they want to catch up with you? Oh, gosh, look for Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice. Uh, you know, I encourage people, you know, connect with me over on Vero, uh, over on Letterboxd uh, and Goodreads. Would love to uh, connect with people over there. It's Those are sort of the more fun places on the Internet nowadays. You can find me over, like I said, on the Nerd Party over on House Lights. You can find me actually also over on the Nerd Party, co-hosting a Star Wars show called Aggressive Negotiations with one Matthew Rushing. And it's true. And speaking of that Matthew Rushing, right here on TFM as part of the 602 Club, appearing on Snyder Cuts, looking at the body of work of one Mr. Zack Snyder prepping for the the release of the hotly anticipated, often uh, uh, speculated as never actually existing <laughs> Snyder Cut of Justice League, uh, and uh, also Army of the Dead, which we're yeah we're yeah. looking forward to seeing. No, um, I can I you know if if you haven't been listening to Snyder Cuts that John and I are doing, and please check it out. I mean, we've been having an absolute blast and. The most fun part about it is, is that I'm more of the fan going in mm-hmm. and John has kind of been more of the person who is, is kind of on the fence, you know, some of the films he's liked, some of the films he hadn't liked going in. And so far, you know, we, uh, as of this recording, we have gotten all the way to, um, Watchmen and you've, you've been enjoying it. Yes. You've, I mean, I think you've been enjoying it more than you thought you would, actually. So, uh, and as of this recording, the next episode of Snyder Cuts will be uh, Legend of the Guardians. And I'm not going to say anything about that conversation other than you should check it out. And if you've missed that movie, well, you should watch it. So, agree. Agree. Yeah. Uh, of course, you could find me all over social media under Matt Rushing02. You can find me here on the network doing Literary Treks in the Orb with Chris Jones. Of course, Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and the Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, doing Owl Posts with Dre Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. But we do want to say thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. <laughs>